Welcome to the Rally Point Podcast, where we equip you to support others. I'm Bobby Jackson. And I'm Noah Throw. And today, we're going to be talking about helping young people encounter a changing world. Bobby and I will be talking with a friend about his experience leading college students through transitions and equipping them to navigate a rapidly changing world. In student ministry, one of the things that I find most confusing or tricky is like we graduated from our high school, college experiences at a certain point in time, and we tend to think of high school and college in, in similar terms. Like, you know, we, we know what it's like to be a teenager or whatever, but uh, the culture shifts so quickly. There's a lot of studies that say, you know, there's a total culture change every three years. Um, you know, we have different generations. The generation that's in college now is not my generation anymore. Um, and so, like, there's a, an element of of trying to stay relevant, but also there's a, there's an element where the world that young people are facing is truly unique and t- tricky. And, and I would even argue it changes a lot faster than every three years. I I think there's a new cultural there's a new cultural like experience or 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 um thing to navigate a new social media platform a new um a new cool computer game shared game whatever we're we're into among us right now i, I don't know what what other games everybody's into but that's like in my counseling sessions that's what all all the the young people are talking about with me i'm like oh that's that's so cool it's mafia on i mean i remember playing that in person with other people but you know now we're doing that over over our phones and um Things just change really fast, and the current generation is experiencing more inputs uh, than ever before. Thousands of inputs uh, on a given day, more inputs in a given day than older generations experienced in a week or a month or even longer. And so uh, it's a really tricky world uh, to grow up in. Yeah, absolutely. I I just think about the fact that um, when I'm talking to students, you know, even there's just language that they'll say a slang term and I'll catch on after like a month and then the slang term will be gone two months later and I'll still use it like three months later and I'll just sound like, you know, an old man trying to, you know, be relevant. Yeah. Catch up with the hip. (laughs) There is exactly. Yeah. And I think that's just one of the things that shows how quickly culture, students' perception of the world and their engagement with the world changes. You know, it, it just it shifts so quickly that it's really hard to keep up with. Yeah, so we're excited for today's guest. Um, his name is Chris Lash. He's a good friend of ours. He is the Dean of University Ministries at Judson University in Elgin, Illinois. Yeah, Chris works a lot with young people. He oversees Judson's chapel program. He works as an adjunct professor, and he leads a team of student leaders to produce their chapel services every single week. So Chris, we're excited to talk to you, and welcome to the show. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. This is fun. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Chris, uh, just to give our audience a little bit of a snapshot about you, could you tell us a little bit about how you found your way to Judson and into your current role? Yes, absolutely. It's kind of an amalgamation of happenstance plus providence plus uh, any kind of a mix, you know, therein. I graduated from my undergraduate program with a degree in biblical languages, completely unsure how I was going to use it. I just knew I wanted to study that for the time being. You know, 18-year-olds making decisions, you never know what you're doing. 
But I graduated, I started bartending and I really liked bartending. And then a friend of mine reached out to me and said, hey, how about you try uh, this new gig at Judson University? They'd never had like a dean before. They'd never had a chaplain before. Would you be interested in this kind of a thing? And I like working with young people. Middle school and high school ministry wasn't quite my thing, but um, I enjoy working with like college students and I enjoy working with people who were like ambitious and like wanting to take a bite out of the world and wanting yeah, to like move forward. You want to use words like amalgamation. <laughs> so you knew you had to be in college ministry. <laughs> no, just no better word for it. And so, so I ended up, I applied for the role and um, it was really clear that the Lord was in it because there was no real reason why they should take this amalgamated uh, uh, person mm. and bring it and bring him mm. to Judson. And so it's been, it's been a trip, man. I've been there for yeah. eight years and oh, it's wow. been, it's been a blast. Um, mm. My role consists of, so, I mean, this is even just a sketch of kind of how I think and, and what I'm looking at. So we produce our chapel programming. I oversee all of our chapel programming, spiritual formation, and then a student leader team. Um, and so we produce about 80 services per like school year. So we're doing three services a week. And so we are just like cranking through content. So we're doing three, four, five series every single semester. And we're having to address some of the biggest topics of the day. And that's like just the world I'm living in. And then I oversee the spiritual formation of campus. And part of that for this semester in the middle of COVID has been transitioning our entire platform to digital. So we made it like within a three week period, we just said we are doing everything digitally with the exception of, I think, three services this semester mm -hmm. where we're doing a socially distanced uh, 50 person or less kind of a service. And then the last thing is I oversee a uh, our student leaders. So I oversee a team of I mean, it fluctuates between 18 and 25 students. It's how we get the ministry done. It's how we train students. And that's like really where my heartbeat is, is overseeing these student leaders who are learning to do ministry, who don't believe in themselves quite often, but we're going to, you can actually do this. Like you can and should lead your peers. And we saw something in you. And so let's help train you or the students who come in and they're really chomping at the bit. It's going, let's give you some more tools so that when you leave this place, you are equipped to serve the church, to serve the people of God whether it's in the marketplace or in your ecclesial space. That's a little bit more than what you asked for, but that's, that's, where, that's where I'm coming from. Yeah, that's really valuable. And, you know, you've been talking about, you've been doing this for a number of years and you see new students, like we said, every, every couple of years. But I'm curious to hear, do you see any trends in terms of what always seems to be some of those obstacles that you help students overcome? Absolutely. I'd say, so we lose and gain 25% of our population every single year. So yeah. we are consistently dealing with an influx of new, like just liveliness and energy and ideas and culture and apps and all that stuff. And we are like simultaneously losing our elder, you know, students, our seniors. And so we're constantly having to retool and figure out what it is we want to do, how we want to best serve, what students are looking for now. And even just five years ago to now, we've experienced a significant shift in what students, how they connect to scripture, how they like what types of messages they enjoy listening to, uh, uh, what types of examples or ministerial philosophies that they connect with. Um, and I would say one of the most significant trends that we are pretty consistently wrestling with as a student life team or as just a university ministries team 
is resilience um, in our students. And this is seen a number of different ways. I mean, one of the ways is when a student's chapel credits are low, I get a call from mom and dad. And I'm like, oh, no, I can't tell you anything. And I don't think this is a healthy way of relating to authority mm. structures is like, can, it, can you give my student credit? So like credit the student or doesn't, something? they don't take, they don't take up their own battle. They, their parents are, are the ones uh, who, who are making that phone call on behalf of uh, functionally an adult, right? Like, so it's right. an adult defending an adult. Yes, and that's an a adult brand, defending that's an adult, a really but that's not different. how they're seen yeah. in, in right. that area. And so I'm I'm on the phone with parents relatively regularly where I'm like, I'm sorry, like they didn't get chapel credit for this or this is what this is, but I need to talk to this student and either they'll be like, okay, Johnny, come on over to the phone. And I'm like, oh, he's there or, you know, something else. And And it's an interesting like just shift. And that's not necessarily what it was eight years ago when I started. Um, but we're seeing this kind of a parentified um, difference in how this is working. And then I'm seeing it translate into the overall resilience of a student population where they're just not as resilient. And yet they also are. So I'm consistently trying to cast hope for our community. And um, I can get into that in a, in a little bit more. But yeah. we're, seeing you, you, of, we're seeing a number of things. We're using shifts. the. We're using the word resilience. Can you define what you mean by that a, a little bit further? Like what, what is an example of a student who is acting resilient versus one who seems to, in a, in a situation, lack it? Yeah, I'd say it's the, it's the ability to push through difficult situations. It's the ability to do hard things. It's the internal, um, it's the internal desire, energy to... Um, weather the tough stuff and keep moving forward. And that can happen with mental health. That can happen with friendship issues. That can happen with just the pressure that school puts on you or job yeah. or something like that. And so there are students who come in and um, they are very resilient. Like they are just they're like, I am laser locked on this goal, this vocational goal. And so we're going to keep moving forward. And then they just don't have a lot of tools with how to handle mental health issues and so they're just, they're unsure of, of where to turn. And so we find ourselves building resilience into the student population, into both our leaders and the students as a whole um, through, a, through a handful of different means. But this has become, and this is the trend I'm noticing. So one of the things that, I, that I'm curious about in a conversation like this is like, um, a lot of the parents that I work with will say, well, I just want my kid to like, Pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Like I just want them to, to just push through it. Just push through it. And then there's parents on the other side who seem to, you will use the the phrase like helicopter parent, or they tend to hover and micromanage their kids' lives. And so then in in the one instance, it seems like the kid needs support, more support than the parent is used to giving. In the other instance, the kid needs more independence. They need to learn to make their own decisions because when you make all of their decisions, they literally they they have not uh, their brain has actually not developed the ability to make their own decisions. Which then, when they encounter something hard, they don't have the process to deal with something hard. So you're talking about helping develop those resilient skills in students. How do you how do you help? How have you seen kids that come into college more prepared? And what have you seen any themes of like? What does it look like to prepare somebody well for a, a current culture that's wildly confusing? Yeah. 
I think a lot of it is, is it's just incredibly overwhelming. And for students who are steeped in it, like they're on their phone all the time, their, their screen time uh, report is just off the charts. Like they are on their phones all the time. It's difficult to sort out what do I actually think and feel or, or what is the YouTuber I'm watching or the Instagram influencer or something like that. And so a lot of times they just enter into the college space confused and they don't know how to make their decisions so I've seen a number of shifts in my preaching where um, it's gone from a theological, uh, hey, this is what you need to believe about God, yourself, and these kind of things. And we're not moving away from that. But I've noticed that for our program, we're doing a lot more habit forming, a lot more. Um, we've just shifted to a very pragmatic way to do it. Like, So for example, one of the sermons that I preached, I think it was last year, or it was in January, who knows, 2020 is, <laughs> we've been in here for five years, I feel like, welcome to year five of 2020, um, where I did, I did a message on um, honoring your parents. It was a question series that I was just took their questions. And a lot of them were about, how do I honor my parents when I'm 18, 19, 2021? 20, and I was surprised that when I was preparing how advice heavy, how pragmatic I had to get, where I'm like, okay, we can take some of these principles about God, but you need this like really concrete and that helps you work it out in your world just because of the way that you think. One of the ways in which um, a lot of uh, universities are talking and thinking about resilience is coming from the work of Jonathan Haidt. I'm not sure if you're familiar with his work, The Righteous Mind, but the book specifically is The Coddling of the American Mind. And he talks about it in terms of there are three untruths that we are teaching young people. Untruth number one is the untruth of fragilities, what, where we are teaching young people what doesn't kill you makes you weaker. While untruth number two is the untruth of emotional reasoning. And so we teach young people always trust your feelings. And then untruth number three is the untruth of us versus them, where life is a battle between good people and evil people. And so you're seeing even here, so some of the ways in which he talks about how do we build, I mean, it, a lot of this conversation is resilience for what he's doing. How do we no longer coddle the American mind as he settles on three truths that come out of these untruths? So he breaks it down over the course of the book and everything, and he has plenty of studies and examples. Um, but he says, what we need to do is train young people, is to disciple them, dare I use churchy language, to seek out challenges rather than eliminating or avoiding anything that feels unsafe. We free ourselves from cognitive distortions. That's number two, rather than always trusting your initial feelings. So this is where cognitive behavioral therapy is coming in. And, and Bobby, I imagine, and Noah, I imagine you, you resonate with a lot of this. And then the third one is take a generous view of other people and look for nuance rather than assuming the worst about people within a, as he says, a simplistic us versus them mentality. What, what I like about that, that book is the simple idea is the human body and mind are improved, are strengthened by challenge. They're not strengthened by, by relaxation, by support by um, like they, they are actually strengthened. So when you think about it, your body is strengthened when you lift weights, when you work out, when you do sprints, when you go for runs. Actually challenge your body. And the same thing is true of your mind. You get weaker when you mentally, when uh, people take off, the, they, they don't let you make decisions. 
when you're not faced with multiple worldviews, when you don't have to have conversation or debate, when you never hear something you disagree with, like you have to hear things that you disagree with. You have to wrestle through hard questions. You have to be faced with lots of decision-making in order for your brain to get stronger and in order for you to build resilience. That, that's essentially what, he, what, what that, that whole concept is, is talking about, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Where you, you have to, I mean, like the process of like weightlifting is a, is a great analogy and I'm sure he uses it someplace in the book because it's just so timely where it goes, you, your muscles literally break down and it feels like this breakdown period and it is actually a painful process. And yet after rest and recovery, or as you uh, have, have journeyed through a book and you're wrestling with what's going on, you're, a build up, you're, you're built up stronger and, and that's literally how this process works. You can't just keep working out, like keep curling forever or keep doing your ab exercises forever and expect uh, to grow. It does require a rest period, but this process of breaking down is important to the resting period and is important to keep moving forward and growing and all of that. Well, as we're listening to Chris today, maybe you're thinking about all that's happening in your own life and ministry. When things are changing so quickly, it can be helpful to have someone like Chris in your life to offer wisdom and insight. That's why Rally Point has a coaching program for ministry leaders. We know how hard it can be to figure out those difficult seasons, especially when you're alone, especially when you're working with hurting people and experiencing stress yourself. When you talk with a coach, you're going to be equipped with skills and experience you need to be really prepared. And you can set up an initial conversation with a coach at no cost by visiting rallypointmin.com slash coaching. You know, when I think about students you work with or students I've worked with or students, you know, Bobby has been working with, I think about the fact that, you know, parents are concerned with the well-being of their children. And so I think a lot of it comes from a really good intention of, I don't want my child to have to go through what I've gone through or to have to face this pain because I've faced it and it's been really hard and it's been really hard to Mm -hmm. move past it. And so I think there is this element of, you know, I just don't want my kid to face pain. You know, I want to protect them because I love them, because I care for them, because I, I do have their best interest at heart. And sometimes, um, when we have the best interest of somebody at heart, we get scared when we see that they might be moving into that spot where they can be hurt. And so I think there's you know, a balance between, um, you know, preparing somebody without sheltering them. Um, and at the same time, letting go of that, I need to protect them from everything. Um, and being willing to let them or or like walking into those spaces with them and, and kind of, um, helping them learn how to navigate those spots. So I'm curious to hear from you, Chris, just what do you wish, um, ministry leaders, or parents or just mentors of middle school and high school students would do to prepare them to kind of move into college as they um, start facing more challenges to kind of grow into that resiliency? That's a great question. So one of the ways this works out really practically in just our ministerial programming and how I train our leaders is one of the values that we have in the university ministries team 
is we are free to risk and fail. And what's been really interesting is I have four other values that we talk about. And so I routinely every year go through, you know, communicating well, honesty, like something that correlates to our overall values that we have. And um, the one that I keep getting feedback about is this free to risk and fail. And so students consistently are returning back to this value and they're going, hey, I'm using this value while I'm on staff over here and I just took our staff through it or something like that. And so it's telling me that actually this value is connecting. And so what this translates into is I tell our leaders, look, what I want you to do is to take risks. I don't mind if something doesn't work out. Like that's totally fine. Like if you plan a set, if you try a, a new thing, if you try a new lighting style, if you do something... Like I'm totally okay if you try it and it just does not work out and it you get like 80% of what you wanted out of it. Mm. That is okay to me. You need to be okay with failing. Yeah. And what I want you to do is be able to tell me what you learned and how we can move forward. So you can take different risks. So you can try and fail and succeed in other ways as well. I don't want you just to stay in the super safe box of the same artists that you always play of the same musical style that you always play of the same expectations that you have for our chapel. I want you to take risks and keep moving forward. And that I've seen changes the dynamic of students and, and their leadership as a whole. And so I'm not surprised that uh, at first I was, hmm. but I'm not anymore as I'm doing more reading on it. Like this is something that's yeah. pretty endemic. And so to your question, how do we build this in or what do I wish we told ministry leaders, parents or whatnot, it's that our students have to fail. And like, they have to, they have to um, have an idea and then enact on it. And when it doesn't exactly go to plan, then we sit down with them and do an after action report and say, okay, what succeeded? What didn't succeed? Like, what yeah. are like, so one of the exercises that I do, is just three, two, one, what are three things that went really well? What are two things that you want to change? And what's one thing you want to continue? Like, so, so what, what, so let's just have a conversation about it. There's no shame. There's no, like you, you, it, it's not failed as in it's a bad F word. It's a good F word in the sense of you are learning and growing. If you learn how to steward it and, and yeah. move things forward, because that's how we grow. Yeah. Like there's the, the, um, uh, uh, perhaps just anecdotal, you know, mythical experience at, at Google, which is they measure people based on how often they fail because they want to keep innovating and growing mm -hmm. and all of that stuff. Yeah. And for a generation that is incredibly entrepreneurial, that is building Instagram platforms, that's learning how to monetize things at rates that I, I just feel incredibly old. Like it, it, for just a generation that is going to, I think, revolutionize the way that we view work. One of the most faithful and consistently um, honoring thing that we can do is just walk them through, hey, this didn't go well. Did you feel that? I felt that. What did you learn? What can we move forward? And 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 how do you think the Lord was directing you? And, and what were you listening to when you tried this? Or what was your heart intention behind it? And and how do we perhaps preserve that while we uh, uh, just just acknowledge that this didn't quite go the way that we did? Or maybe it totally did, and it worked really well. And so now let's find a way to learn from our successes. Yeah, that's really cool. And I think one thing that you mentioned earlier in the conversation was that when students come into college, you see them on their apps, website, screen time is up. They have the YouTubers they're listening to. And I think some an interesting string um, to kind of tie to what you're saying here is 
We have algorithms on social media, on Spotify, on Instagram, on um, whatever that sort of tailor our lives to the things we like and the things we agree with. And so even that, you know, puts us kind of on the track in our minds to say, well, you know, I don't want to feel ashamed. I don't want to feel stupid. I don't want to be a failure. And so it's easier to kind of stay on this track rather than explore. And there is that risk in exploring. And so you said fail is a good F word. I also think the word free is a good F word just to think about the Mm -hmm. fact that like, you know, you don't have to be caged into one mindset. And when you do explore, that's a good thing to go out and to explore and to engage in those conversations rather than, um, you know, try to combat things, just being free to sort of look around and and try to open up your mind to some other possibilities and, and some different perspectives. It's also the sheer volume of information then. Eight, 10 years ago, like the iPhone came out in, I think, 07. So those of us that grew up before that, we literally did not experience that volume of information that the human brain is not made to process. So we're like attempting as the older generation who kind of has this like sort of paternalism, like condescension, you know, spirit towards social media anyway. We're all like, well, we don't know it. We don't like it or whatever it is that we think. So it must be worse, must be lesser uh, something. But we're the ones attempting to train young people on how to process when they're, they're literally looking at 10 to 100 times more information than we did at the same developmental stage. Right. So how do you process information when your brain actually is not capable of processing that much information and do it well? Yeah, that's a tremendous question. I think I do a, I do a couple things. First is whenever I'm teaching, and this is what I tell pastors all the time. If you, if you don't know a fact off the top of your head, don't say it. Like if you're not like ironclad, like this is a fact, just don't say it. Because the bottom line is while you are talking about it, your students are Googling every single thing that you're talking about. So if you are representing another faith tradition, if you're talking about sexual orientation, if you're talking about racism, if you're like, if you're talking about some of these big concepts and you're talking about it poorly or ungraciously, or you're giving like a straw man uh, understanding of this ideology, whether it be political, sexual, racial in nature, anything, they're Googling it as you're talking, or they might just tune out and go like, ah, this doesn't feel right. So I think there's a number of ways in which ministries and leaders can and are invited into adjusting their perspective and adjusting the way in which we train. I mean, so so I, I have a, a couple things. Um, the first thing is a mindset shift where we're, we're learning how to learn, not necessarily what to learn. For so long, the church has been the content steward and the, and the institution that says, hey, we want to teach you what to know because we are holding it and we want to give you access to it. Well, as you're talking about, Bobby, they have so much information all the time flying at them. And so I find I'm not doing, hey, this is what you need to know about this doctrine, this thing about God, something like that. Sometimes it takes that, it takes that way. But what I'm often doing is saying, hey, you know, the implications of what you're saying about God or yourself or whatever we're talking about, here's some of the implications here. And so I'm trying to teach them how to actually learn, how to evaluate information, how to evaluate sources, how to evaluate worldviews and ideologies, like how, how do we arrive at any of the conclusions that we do? So 
The second thing I'd say is we build change into them. So we've been talking about resilience. We're talking about how they keep moving forward in the midst of difficulty. And I think it takes uh, two things. It takes mindset and habits. So it's trying to coach and bring them up in, hey, what's your self-talk? When you encounter a difficult situation, what's your self-talk? What's going on? And to return to the coddling of the American mind, it's it's what are the cognitive distortions that you're living in? What are the ways in which you're trusting your initial feelings when perhaps you should have some suspicion towards your initial feelings? And maybe that's not telling you everything you need to know. But I often couple that with habits and habit formation where we're pulling from the atomic habit of from James Clear or something like that of going, okay, so if you don't want to have this mindset anymore, or if you recognize this mindset is harmful, or this is just unpleasant, how do we foster habits that are actually going to lead you somewhere in a better, more helpful, more healthy direction? And so let's just talk about habit formation. And then the last thing that I'd say, is how do we prepare our people to encounter a changing world is for them to evaluate their relationships and their relationship to stuff, to entertainment, to others. And so this is, I just had a leadership meeting with my team not too long ago. And this was the advice I gave them going into Christmas break was I'm going, you need to evaluate now your relationship to the things around you. And it doesn't mean you need to go on a social media fast, although that could be warranted or called for. It doesn't mean you need to go back uh, and, and become like an Amish man or woman and just like put all technology away and you're riding the buggy into town every day to get your milk. But you need to evaluate what it is that you're taking in. So what is your relationship to stuff, to entertainment, to the people around you? And do you have healthy relationships with someone that you can call up or you can connect with. But I want you to build relationships that are encouraging you in this journey of resilience. Hmm. Yeah, there's a, a few pieces there that are so helpful, especially at a college age. I, I would love to think about what we would say to parents too uh, as they prep for that. Because I think a lot of times uh, in my in my counseling sessions, at least, they, they, a lot of the conflict is because I'll have maybe a 17-year-old male and their parents are like, well, he's he's in, individuating and he's pushing against all of our rules. And so we need you to fix him and help him make all the right choices. And the parents uh, maybe have a lot of rules in their, in their family. And so what I try to do is explain like you're raising, the, the one-liner I like to use is you're raising an adult, not a child. Is not that he is an adult, but that's the target. The target is independent, independent thought, um, independent decision-making, an independent process, because at some point your support is going to disappear. And so what I, what I like to do with parents is think through at every age, maybe even just every birthday, what supports you're going to maintain and what supports you're going to take away, what decisions you're going to keep making and what decisions you want them to make. A lot of, a lot of parents struggle with that. Um, and we as like outsiders, it's a little easier for us as, as ministry leaders to kind of see like, well, I see the independence in, in, in your young person. You need to see it. Or it comes a little more naturally for us in some ways. So I think there's, there's an element of helping equip parents too. What one or two pieces of wisdom would you uh, give to a parent as their kid is preparing for, or even when they're in college, what, what one or two pieces of, of wisdom or practices would you encourage them to take? I feel for parents. I'm not a parent yet, but I imagine I'm going to be going through many of the same things, if not all the same things that parents are. Like it's an impossible thing, parenting. 
and you're trying to like build and mold and shape. And sometimes that can be too restrictive. It's, it's not restrictive enough or you're just not building the proper containers and you always feel like you're failing. And so if there are any parents listening at this point, Jesus loves you. He will see your kid through. He will steward and love your child. And the good work that he started, I believe that he will finish. Like we pull that from scripture And so as you are moving your mentality from training a child into adulthood, and as you have to go through a personal shift, a lot of that is is just release. So I'd ask parents to offer a, a release mentality where I do well if I am able to fully and finally release my student, release my adult into the world, and they are built in with values and character and all of that they're in. We're not teaching them, again, what to think, what to do, but how to evaluate situations that perhaps we never would have thought of, we never would have considered. And so part of the things I'd say to parents is your student will will absolutely struggle. And the system is designed that way. It's designed for your student to struggle. Not struggle indefinitely, but there will be periods where it will feel heavy and hard And that's part of them exercising new muscles of independence. Like they need to do their own laundry. They need to figure out how to talk with authority figures. Trying to determine what's the right answer and then what should I question? Because, you know, we're, we're never quite sure. And that's a really valuable skill to be ingraining into people as they just continue to, to move through life and college. So Chris, man, you have so much wisdom and there are so many nuggets in this conversation that I wish we could just talk about for you know, a whole hour. Um, but I would really love to hear one thing, whether it's a trait or a sentence or a phrase you want college students to internalize before they leave college and enter um, that version of adulthood, whatever that is. What is that one thing you want a college student um, or leaders of college students to internalize before they leave? Yeah, that's great. I appreciate you you funneling it down into one thing. That's good. It's a good discipline <laughs> for me. But uh, what I would, and, and this is, I, I think it goes down to even the values that we have in our ministry program to tell, to tell students, you are free to risk and fail because the gospel is true, because Jesus died and resurrected and ascended for you. You are absolutely in the truest sense of the word free. You have actually nothing to lose. You have already gained everything. You have Jesus. So you are truly, really and truly free to take risks that may pan pan out, that may not pan out, and you are free to fail. And perhaps the badge of honor that we can give out is not how successful you look, how curated your Instagram is, or how you make other people feel FOMO. But what if we twisted our metric just a little bit, we just clicked it one more degree, and we just said, how many times have you failed? Like how many times have you taken some pretty crazy risks and failed and succeeded? And then what have you learned from it? And so the thing that I would probably distill everything down to for college students, for ministry leaders, for parents is rooting the concept of freedom in identity in Christ, in how he has formed us and shaped us and given us a brand new identity. And then telling students, therefore, like, let's just experiment and try and innovate and push things forward and have the freedom that we are given in the gospel to try new things. Life is bigger than than what you may presently think. And so you are actually free to risk and fail. 
that is so valuable and and really poignant. And Chris, we're so thankful and grateful that through the past you know number of years, as you've kind of moved through your career, you've taken those risks, you've had those failures, you've done that growth, and you can give us all that wisdom today. So thank you so much for being on the show. We really, really appreciate it. And it was just fantastic talking to you. Happy to be here. I love what you all are doing. I love the resources that you're creating. And the guests that you have are just tremendous. And this is just going to mm. bring it down in your podcast world. <laughs> so um, you need to bring in some like high, high level guests. Yeah, yeah. Keep, like, yeah. Make sure to sandwich this one. Yeah, we'll yeah you need to you, sandwich yeah. it really well. Yeah. Um, no, it's been a blast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, yeah absolutely. We appreciate Thank it, so Chris. Much. Thanks so much. Wow, you know, I think I mentioned this just throughout the course of the episode, but there was so much good stuff there. I really do wish that Chris could have just sat here for like four hours and we and we could have just, just chatted, but hopefully we can have him on the show um, again. But one thing I really... Um, appreciated um, was when he was talking about the idea of kind of, you know, focusing on our relationships and not just interpersonally, but focusing on our our relationships to, you know, other people, to technology, to the habits in our life. I think that's really valuable because we don't think about those things as relationships. And it's really interesting to sort of bring that to the forefront and think about, you know, you need to evaluate those relationships too. And what's good, what's bad, what should I take, what should I leave out? But I just really appreciated him phrasing it that way because that's a whole new lens to put on to the way I relate to a lot of things in my life. Yeah. I think the part that's sticking out to me is the difficulty as ministry leaders to maintain a healthy balance. There's so many pieces of this that require um, an avoidance of the extreme. Like we want to go all the way to like, you know, let's all log off social media. We hate it. Or we want to be super supportive to people who are hurting, which we do. But at the same time, how how much is too much? Like, you know, when we have a student in front of us that's hurting, is there a point where we say you need to face this and we need to be more challenging and, and encourage people to to grow and take responsibility and those sorts of things. And and then on the on the other side, are there times where we need to make sure that we do provide that support? It's really like there's a lot of balance that's incredibly important to helping the people in our ministry really become resilient, become strong, um, become independent in their faith. That's so true. And I just loved his thoughts on that. And maybe as you're listening you're thinking about that balance and the relationships in your own life. In a changing world, one of the most important things we can do is manage our own inputs. There's more information that we can process coming at us. And as leaders, when we are competent in managing our inputs, we can guide others as well. That's why we've developed a resource that we think you will find really valuable. It's a simple guide that will help you slow down for a moment and evaluate your changing world. And if you want to grow, move forward, succeed, and help others, it's important to slow down and process purposefully. And that's what this guide is for. Uh, to get that worksheet, go to rallypointmen.com podcast and subscribe with your email. You'll get a link where you can download this resource and get others that we've created just for you. And if you like what you heard today, please rate or review this podcast. By doing that, you can empower other leaders with tools that can help them to support others. And also, we want to hear from you. Uh, We'd love to know how this episode has helped you or what other challenges you're facing in your ministry that we could cover. So send us an email to hello at rallypointmen.com. 
Thanks so much for listening.